My name is Mike McDaniel. I'm your guest speaker today. I've been out for a while, and I appreciate your faithfulness to pray as uh, I take uh, time to take care of my lovely wife who has gone through neck surgery, and she's here today and doing much better, and also a time of, of study and sabbatical, and that was productive and a, a, a time away. And so anyway, back here, back in the saddle. But it also, it's a good, it's a good time for every year for me to do this. I think it's a good chance for you to get to see our staff, uh, or the depth, the breadth of our staff, and just the pastoral team that we have. It's not just me and Jared up here uh, doing a dog and pony show each, each and every week. You met Jake last week. It was just like a Jared Jr. Uh, and then, and then uh, a few weeks ago on Father's Day, uh, Wade shared a message uh, a few weeks ago. Jared uh, preached even uh, Randy the past couple of weeks. So you got to know a lot. Even uh, we get bonuses like having Brett Ferguson in the congregation to share. And so you've been able to hear from a lot of different voices. Last week you heard from Leadra and her, just her vision for our pre our children's ministry. And uh, I think it's next week or the next week after that, we're going to have actually Stacy Ash up here and let her share a little bit about her vision for preschool ministry. So you get to see our pastoral team uh, a lot during this time of year, and so I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative of that. But I'm also glad to be back in about the series that we're launching today that'll take us through the month of September. And uh, we're starting a quest today. We're starting a journey today. And when you think about the word quest, the, the definition, the, just a basic open up a dictionary, it'll tell you the quest is to seek and to pursue something. That's not very romantic. Why does seek and pursue something? Well, I, I think if you think about the, the old concept of Quest, you Google it, you'll find that Nissan makes a Quest van or a car. Uh, you'll, you'll find that there are all kinds of cartoon figures out there that are, that, are, that are in some kind of Quest cartoon. I think there's even a TV show coming up here pretty soon called Quest. And so there's a lot of different images that are out there. But one of those that kind of stuck out in my mind from the very beginning, even in naming this series, was you think about this medieval romance drama story unfolding in the pages of a book and, and how you've got these knights that have been, that have been knighted, that have been sent on a mission to find the Holy Grail. And that is their quest. And I would like to stick with that rather than a, a van, okay? So when you think about a quest, I want you to think of yourself in pursuit of a Holy Grail. What is that out there that you are, have been knighted by God? to seek and to pursue, and what is it you're longing deep inside? He even made you, before you knew him, he made you this way where you long for this, where you pursued this, where, where I talk about today that I don't care where you live in the world, I believe that this is something we are all on a quest for. In fact, over the next three weeks, I'm going to share with you, it's kind of a two-part series, it's the quest, the pursuit, and the practice of a life well-lived. And I think at the end of the day, we all want to live well. I think that's one of the goals and ambitions of life. We wanted our funeral, a good memorial service. We'd leave it like if we had time and knew it was coming, we'd like to plan it. Uh, you know, we want this here, this said about me. Well, the way that happens is the way we live today. We want, we want our children to remember us well. We want at the end of our lives for us, even if we could reflect back over a period of time and say, I lived well. But I think more than anything, when we get to heaven, we want to hear the words of Jesus say to us, good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. 
good and faithful. Notice that he doesn't say, he's not going to say, hey, good and successful. Hey, hey, really smart, energetic guy. Hey, really entrepreneur guy. Hey, really good business mind guy. Hey, really good teacher. No, good and faithful. We're not called to be successful. We're called to be faithful. Faithful to the things that God has called us and shaped us for. And what will we remember by? And you know, and again, this is that epitaph moment where you, where you should write it out and plan it out and think about it for your life. Or what will be the last words that you would say if you knew that they were your last words? What would they be? Whenever uh, Elvis Presley, just before his death, just before going home to die, he had a press conference. He didn't know he was going to die. He had a press conference. He died at home. But he had a press conference. And his last press conference, he, his last words before he dismissed the press crew was, well, I hope I haven't bored you. You know, you think about the last recorded words of the king of rock and roll who lived an up and down, very, very erratic life, very turmoil, tumultuous life in his own spirit. At the end of his life, he says, I hope I haven't bored you. There's all kinds of epitaphs that are out there. You can Google them and find them. But here's one that I thought was interesting. It was written by a dentist. He had his family engrave it on his tombstone whenever he died. Walter Brown lies here, filling his last cavity. <laughs> not a bad, not a bad one. I wouldn't believe this was true had, the past, had a pastor in North Carolina not swore to me that it was true that he had seen the tombstone that this was marked on and that uh, it was in the, it was in the, the uh, western North Carolina area, probably a very remote area, but this is what it says on the tombstone. And you don't always get to choose what it says on your tombstone, but here lies Paul. Paul liked women. Ma caught Paul in the uh, inn with two women swimming. There lies Paul, you know. That's what you're remembered by, you know. What is it that you will be remembered by? If there's a life verse for you, if there's a verse for this series, you might want to jot this verse down and print it out, put it as a screensaver, uh, put it on the, on the mirror uh, in, the, in your bedroom when you're getting ready in the morning. Something that will constantly jar your mind to thinking about these words it's a, it's a psalm that was written by actually Moses. Mo, we think of David as writing all the psalms, but he didn't write all the psalms. Moses actually has written uh, several of them, and this is one of them, Psalm 90. It says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Teach us to realize the brevity of life. If we only knew, even this past week, a tragic loss of a young 14-year-old in our own community, you don't always get to choose how you're going to end and when you're going to end and how it's going to end. The tragedy that that comes. But if we would all realize the brevity of our own life, the shortness of it, the, 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 the absolute that we don't have control of it, if we would realize that, then maybe we would be a little wiser with every moment that we have within it. Martin Luther translated this verse into German and to take his translation and to put it into English, he said it like this, teach us to think about our death so that we will know how to live. Teach us to think about our death so that we will know how to live. How is it that we can come to a service like this and 
all of a sudden, Mike stands up after taking off all this, this study time and start talking about death. And it's just really an exercise of a mental, spiritual exercise that we maybe should go through here that hopefully what we can do is we can look at the end and we can plan now for our epitaph and we can plan now for how we're going to be remembered. We can plan now. What do we call this in the business world? This is reverse engineering. You all do it all the time. You got a product, you got to get it on the shelves in Walmart or here or there. And what do you do? You reverse engineer how you're going to get it from production to the shelves. Why don't we reverse engineer our life? The very first leadership book that I ever got my hands on and read was Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. He makes the statement in there that we should begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. What is your quest? What's your holy grail? Some of y'all in this room are not married or just getting married or getting ready to start a family or just started a family. And your, 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 your quest, if you just started a family, is just survive that day. I get it. But on a bigger picture, what is it that you're longing for? And I want to say over the next three weeks that there are three things that I think every one of us in this room, from this side of the room to that side of the room, young, old, educated, uneducated, everyone in this room, and I will say this, everyone outside of this room, outside of this world, outside of this world, outside of this country, I believe everyone who, those who know God or don't know God and know Jesus or love Jesus or hate Jesus or whatever the case may be, I believe it's inside of everybody there is this longing, there is this quest, there is this pursuit, and I'm going to give three of them to you over the next three weeks today. I believe the number one pursuit is love. We want love. We long for love. We can't define it exactly. We love rock and roll. We love pizza. We love vacations. We love rainy days. We love sunny days. We love good movies. We love it. We love a lot of things. I don't think we have a full grasp on what love is. I don't think we can put our arms fully around what love is, but I know this. I believe this after 24 years of being in ministry and dealing with people day in and day out is this, is that we can't live without love. There's something about it. Now, it's not always romantic love, it's family love, it's friendships, it's connections, it's relationships on any scale. We even have pets because we love them and we want to be loved. Survey was done online. So it's not an official survey. It was only about 40 people responded to it. So certainly not a scientific survey, but it really just probed the question. It probed the issue. Why do humans need love? I read all 40 of the responses. I want to just read a few of them to you. This is one, one lady out of Europe. It didn't identify the country. I literally just copy and paste it over. So any misspellings, anything that's in here, it's just literally from the, from the text, from their, from their own writings. I give their handles just as they give them online. WW is this lady's name or this person's name. It's obviously a lady. I have no family. I feel very left out. I know I'm not the only person with no family. When I'm around some of my friends and lack confidence, so I go weekly to girls' groups that they say that what I, will benefit me better if you learn to love. It's really hard when all I want is a family to be in and to be loved. Pluto said it like this. I'm sure that's his handle. Why, what is hell? 
I maintain that it is suffering of being unable to love. Somebody with some kind of weird handle said it like this. Yes, because if a human don't love, have any good love, or care your life will be meaningless. And you will have no emotions, feelings. Andrea said it, without love, there's no meaning in life. Honestly, I think about it. it if, if no one loved you or liked you, and then you'd feel no importance. And even if you could do anything and everything without love, life is meaningless. A.K.A. Love at a higher level is about a finding completeness. Being loved makes one feel more certain that one will find that completeness and have achieved something worthwhile in life. Completeness. Completeness. Meaninglessness. See, the reality is, is that I don't think any of us can truly live on an island. None of us can truly live alone, and none of us can truly be without any relationship, which just go, builds into next week's message. But let me just say this. None of us can live without experiencing love. You will die from the inside out. Love. It's something I think we all pursue for, and I don't think you'll find it in fame and fortune, accomplishments. You can be young and successful and become older and successful, and, and you can still find yourself striving and longing and pursuing the quest for love. Miley Cyrus is probably the best example of this. Childhood star, movies, song, everything going for her. Parents at least pushing her and pursuing her to fulfill her dreams. And now look at that young 20-something of age and look what kind of life and train wreck it is becoming right in front of the tabloids. She said this in a recent interview. I need more friends. It's kind of like my quest, to use our word, right now, just to have more true friends. I believe with all my heart that what she was saying is I want love. I want true, true, unconditional love. Love is powerful. Love is transforming. If we don't have it, we will die. In fact, I'll say this according to Scripture, it is the greatest virtue. Love is the greatest virtue. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1-2 even talks about this. That you might be able to move mountains, but if you can't remove the malice of your own heart, what good is love? It's the greatest commandment, Matthew chapter 22. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Loving God, loving others. Loving God, loving others. Love is the greatest commandment. Love's the greatest testimony. It's the testimony that marks us as believers Jesus said this, everyone who will, will know you are my disciples, if you love one another, the challenge to love one another, we're going to see again and again is in Scripture. The greatest motivation is love. The Christ love compels us. 
It motivates us, it moves us, it changes us. It gives us a hope and a direction. I say again, my hypothesis is this, is that you and I can try all we may to do it alone, to go it alone, and to think we can do it without love, but I I, I say this with all my heart. I believe we are in desperate need of love and seeking love and long for love. And we don't even know fully what, how deep down inside that love that we're longing for, looking for, really consumes us. If you were born in the 70s or in the 70s and 80s, you knew the, the, the country song by Johnny Lee, I was looking for love in all the wrong places looking for love in too many faces, searching their eyes, looking for traces of what I'm, I'm dreaming of, hoping to find a friend and a lover. How many of y'all are singing that song in your head right now? <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. You can sing it all afternoon. All right. Searching for love, looking for love in all the wrong places. Here's a life principle for you. Jot it down. Love is not a way to God. God is the, is the way to love. Love is not a way to God. Not everybody who chooses love or seeks love or longs for love will find themselves at God. But I will say this, you will not end up with God and, and, and not have love. You cannot end up with God and God in your heart and God in your life and not have love. And I will establish that in just a moment. I'm afraid that, that we don't really know. We have cheapened love down. We've made it it's things that's not. We've called it what it is not. And it's cheap imitation sometimes that will only last 6 to 12 months in some relationship out there. Some broken relationship from the very beginning that shouldn't have ever even happened. Many men have, too many men have demanded sex as a proof of love. Too many women have given sex as hopes of love. In all reality, six to 12 months later, or even the day after, there's this walk of shame and regret. Love doesn't leave you with regret. Love never fails. I didn't make that up. I'm, I don't work for Hallmark. No, love never fails. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The most densely packaged scripture that deals with love is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We are going to look today at the most densely packaged book of the Bible that deals with love in just a moment. But I want us to understand as we go to 1 John chapter 4. So turn there, 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. I want to say to you again, if you start with God, you will end up with love. But if you start with love and think you're going to just meander your way and find your way to God, you will probably find a substitute love and settle and look for love in all the wrong places. So let us begin where we should begin, and that is with God. And it says in 1 John chapter 4, and by the way, this is the most densely packaged book on love. In 1 Corinthians, it's the most densely packaged chapter. 1 John is the most densely packaged book on love in the Bible. Over 45 times does it record the word love and translate it in five chapters, mind you, actually only in four chapters from chapter four or from chapter two to chapter five. 
There's the, the word agape is translated over 45 times in some form or fashion, some derivative of that word. So the point being is that this book is about love at its very core. And so we begin reading and just follow along as I read, beginning in verse, verse 7. Beloved, there's one of the times love is used. Let us love. There's another time the word love is used, one another. For love, and I'm not going to keep doing that, but you see it there again. Love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is what? Love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his, own son into the, his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sin is son as a propitiation for our sins, beloved. If God so loved us, we also also to love one another. Notice he said it in verse 7, love one another. Notice he says it in verse 11. Notice again in verse 12. No one has ever seen God if we love one another. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We become that representation of God and really own and really live and really possess the love that we're all seeking and longing for. Now, let me say this, because I'm going to kind of give you the message in reverse today, okay? So everything, when you leave out of here today, just reverse the order of these, these, these points, if you will. And I think it'll make sense in the end. So we're going to start with the impossible, and then we're going to move to what makes it possible, all right? So the very first thing is that we need to understand is an aim that he gives us here is to love first. Now, I just pointed it out three different times he said it. He said, love one another. Now, what, what John is, we need to understand John's relationship in the, in the Gospels because John wrote the second, he was the second most prolific writer in the New Testament, right behind Paul. Paul was the most prolific, and we know Paul so well as the missionary Paul, as the pioneer Paul. And he was the guy always pushing the envelope, always going to the ends, always taking the gospel to the ends. And he was the pioneer missionary. John, the apostle, was more of the pastoral kind. For example, Paul was in Ephesus for three years. He leaves. He tells the the elders at Ephesus, I'm not going to come back again, but God bless you. You keep serving and seeking God. Who moves in behind him? But John moves in some years later, and he writes his epistles from there. He is the one who pastors the seven churches, if you would kind of, if you kind of see it from Asia Minor in the book of Revelation. So John is to the pastor what Paul is to the missionary. And so he, we see him, if we're followers of Christ in this room today, we see him pastoring us today. And the very first words out of his mouth is, hey, beloved, hey, I love you guys. Guess what? Love one another. If you didn't hear me once, I'm going to tell you again. I'm going to tell you it another time. Love one another. That's the point of application today. So you can get up and leave now if you want to just get to the point and go on. But I want to do this in reverse. The very first thing he tells us to do is to love first. He calls us to love one another. It's not always easy to love one another. It's not always easy to love our friends. He starts not with the why, but with the what. I want you to love one another. It's exactly what Jesus said is the greatest testimony, that when other people will know that we are Christians by our love. You say, Mike, Mike, just a second here. Let's back up. The hypothesis of your message is, 
of this whole series is, is that I am out there in this world, either consciously or unconsciously, seeking after love. Right. But what you're telling me to do is you're telling me to love someone. What John is saying is love someone. Here's what we've got to realize, is we've got to turn this whole thing upside down. It doesn't start with the world loving me or someone loving me and then I'm going to love you back. That is called conditional love. That's because of love. That's if you love me, you will, love, you will do this to me. The Christian faith is not built on that. It's built on an unconditional love where I will love you even if you don't love me. So this is where it starts. It starts with us being the initiators of love. I need to be the one who loves first. I need to be the one who gives grace first. You pursue love by giving love. You pursue love by giving love. Sometimes we put the gates up, the walls up. We won't let people in until they first show us love. Erwin McManus in his book, Soul Cravings, a book that if you wanted to read in complimentary to this message, it would be a great book to read. He said this, when love does not come to you, it breaks your heart. When you do not give love away, it hardens your heart. One thing stronger than our need to be loved is the need to love. We need to realize we've got to love first if we want to be loved back. We're going to have to be the ones who step forward and, and give it first. It's exactly what Jesus did to you and I, to, to the world. He first loved us, it tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us when we were still broken, shameful, guilty, nasty, and wretched. He was loving us. He was initiating the love. When we take on Christ, we take on Christ's likeness, we take on Christ's manners, Christ's ways, we perfect his love. The very last phrase in this passage of scripture, we perfect his love, so therefore we are to love first. Are we tracking together? How does this work? How does this work in our day-to-day -day life? Again, if you just think about 1 Corinthians 13, the most densely packaged chapter in love, it tells us exactly what love is and what love is not. It breaks it all down. You can read it for yourself. But let me just read a verse and a half. And, and I want you to think about this in your own life, in your own context. Love is, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, love is, first of all, patient. Patient. So I want to ask you a question. Who in your life needs an extra measure of grace? All right? Now here, in your notes, if you're taking notes, there are six blanks. And I'm going to give you six questions right now. These are for names of people, all right? So if you... Know somebody in your life right now that needs an extra measure of grace, you can just put their name right on that blank. Now, if that person's sitting next to you, you can draw an arrow to that person and say, this person needs an extra measure of my grace. If you don't want to give it away, do your own little Morse code in there, do your own little cryptic notes in there, and nobody else will know. But you need to be thinking of people in your life right now that you need to be patient with. Oh, well, you don't, you don't know, Mike. They have done this. No, stop, stop it right there. That's the world's love. See, biblical God love is whenever we give love first. Love is kind, it says in verse 4. Who could use an, an unexpected lift up? 
I don't know what that lift would mean. I don't know what that would look like. But who needs a bit of your kindness in them? Write their name down. Love is not envious or boasting. You need to take the back seat with somebody. Who is it? Somebody I know, I know you're fighting over, jockeying over that position, that place, that role, that whatever, that title, that position, that job, whatever. Who is it that you need to take a back seat to? Just say, no, 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 it's yours. You can have it. Who is it? Think about it. Love is not arrogant or rude. Who deserves a piece of your mind but needs love? They deserve it. It should, they should get it, but you're not going to give it to them because they need love. Who in your life, well, it does not insist on its own way. Who in your family now needs you to back down, to cool your jets, to move to Easy Street, to embrace them unconditionally? You just put their names in there. And now what you do as a follower of Jesus is you love first. You're the one who takes the initiative just as Jesus did with us. But loving first is not easy. That, all, everything I'm talking about, it, it's not going to happen until we know what love is. And, and that, that, that's, that's the hard part. Again, I told you this message is all in reverse. So you're not going to be able to love first until, first of all, we understand what love is. Now, what is love? Which, let's go to the second aim. The second aim is to know love. What is love? Love, I would think, would be a verb, right? Something you do. It's something you show. It's something you give away. That's what love is. But I want to tell you this. Love is first a noun before it is a verb. It is something, it is first, you've got to know love. Love, L, capital L, is in proper noun. You've got to know who love is. If you look at verse 7 and 8 again, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Okay, we now know where the well is, the, the, the mouth of love, the beginning of love. Now look at verse 8. And anyone who does not love does not know God because what? God is, fill in the blank. Say it. God is love. God is love. So before I can be the initiator of love, the first to love, the first to be patient, the first to be kind, the first to never give up, the first is I'm going to have to know what real love is. Not this cheap drug. Listen, listen. Cheap drug sold in the media. Not this cheap drug sold in some romance novel or some love song on a country station. Not that kind of love that fizzles and fades. I got to know love as a person. Love is God. God, God is the very, his very essence. God is a lot of things. John chapter 4, 24 says that God is spirit. 1 John 1, 5, God is light. But also God is love, as you just read with me. Love doesn't define God. God defines love. Well, I really want to know what, what love looks like. It's not that, okay, well, God's just love. And you'll hear a lot of people just say that God's love. And so this is what it's supposed to be like. No, no, don't let your concept, my concept of love define God. What I need to do is I need to understand who God is and let that define what love is. 
in relationships, in family, as we just interact with people. And how do we do that? How do we get a clear cut definition? How do we peel back the layers of the muck and the mire of all the different polluted versions of love out there? Look at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest. Manifest is the word there to unveil, to uncover, to shine a flashlight down on. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might, so that we can live through him. You want to see what love is? You want to have it uncovered? You want to know what love is? L, capital, pronoun, person? Look at Jesus. He's the veil. He's the one who shines light on what real love is. At his very essence, I can remember. Well, this, this I can remember my first girlfriend in elementary school. How many of y'all remember that? Playground girlfriend, you know, boyfriend? Okay. Okay. So, raise your hand. Did you have a boyfriend or girlfriend in elementary school? Please tell me. We're not in a desperate crowd like the first service. Okay, good. Um, match.com for elementary school. Um, I can remember that love, that, that sweaty palms. I can remember writing the love note. I love you. Do you love me? Yes or no? Check the box. Y'all wrote the same one. That's why you're laughing. You know, there's a, there is a level. I mean, it, it breaks your heart when she, when she dumps you and she dumped me. And, you know, it breaks your heart when she dumps you. And, it, and you just say, oh, it's just puppy love. I say this. It's real to the puppy. All right? <laughs> it's real to the puppy, and it hurts. Um, but you know that love? <laughs> it's nothing. Like 20, 22 years ago. Be 22 years, October 15th, when I held our first little baby and she was that big. She was tiny. And I can remember holding her and I can remember holding her next to me. And I can remember, and it's still emotional for me. It was a moment in time that was frozen. And there's a love that you have for the birth of your own child that nothing else compares to. I'm afraid we've been living in elementaryville and we need to know what real love looks like. And there's no deeper, there's no greater picture of love than Jesus Christ. And what he did and how he lived and how he died and how he did it so selflessly and how he did it in such an unconditional manner and how he would accept the unacceptable on and on and on. We've got to know love before we'll ever love first. But how do you really know love beyond the academics, beyond just having this head knowledge of this is what love is? It's the third aim. It's really where it all starts. And that is be born of love. Be born of love. And this is all in, in that one verse. And we could have just read verse 7 and been done. And let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God. Love doesn't lead us to God. It may lead you on a detour. It may lead you on a dead end. It may lead you any number of places. God loves leads us to love. 
If you know God and through Jesus Christ, if you know him as God revealed love through his son, manifested, made it clear, pulled back the veil, made it unadulterated for you and I, if you know God, if you know love through God, then you will be able to love more deeply than elementary love. You'll be able to love more genuinely, unconditionally than you've ever been able to love before. And see, I believe with all of my heart, everyone in this room and beyond this room is hungering to be loved and to experience love, but really deep down inside, what they're hungering for is God. They're wanting to be loved, but not realizing that, 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 that quench, unquenched thirst of their soul. Because God's love is an unquenched thirst for God. And until you have a relationship with God Almighty through Jesus Christ, you will forever be chasing love. Erwin McManus, again in his book, Soul Craving, says it is insanity to run from God and to search for love. What an oxymoron. When God is love and some people run in the opposite direction of God, blame God, hate God, reject God, and yet at the very essence of God is love. That is insanity. When I look out across our, our world today, I see so much anger and so much hatred. I mean, I look, at, I look across, across the land, you see Russia shooting commercial airlines out of the sky, killing hundreds of people and not even apologizing, not even owning it, not even feeling remorse. What kind of... What kind of life is that? What kind of world is that? I look at what's going on in the Middle East. I see Hamas digging tunnels and, and all their trickery and putting their weapons right next to schools and hospitals. And then I see Israel bombing schools and hospitals. I go, which one's right? Gosh, they're both wrong. It's a world of hate and anger and malice. When I look at what's happening in northern, northern Iraq right now, and again, our, our news is so tabloid-centered, I think, I think about the Ishati people, Christians that are there up in Mosul that are literally Christians. It's a Christian genocide going on right now. They're literally beheading children. Listen, I, I'm not making this up. Sad to say, you can Google it. It's happening right now. The hatred that fills our streets. It's not far from our own borders. It's not far from our own borders. I mean, I heard this recently on television. I think it's true. We're a nation of immigrants that hates the newest immigrants. You know, all of the hatred... All the violence, all the malice, how's this going to be fixed? What the world needs now is love, sweet love, yes. But where are you going to find that kind of love? In God Almighty. What the world needs now is God and a relationship with God, and that relationship comes through Jesus Christ. Love first, absolutely. Everyone in this room needs to be charged to go out from here and to love first. But how do you get there? You won't get there until you know what love is. And love is not just a verb. No love. Do you know it? Do you know him as a person? Do you know him as an individual? And then, how do you know him? You're born of him. 
You're born of him. You're born of love. We're here today, and the band will be back, and we're going to observe the Lord's Supper in a few moments, but I don't want to go there too quickly. Because the beauty of what we will celebrate in a moment is only beautiful for those who've been born of love, of those who've been born of the person of love, been born of God. It says in John chapter 1, verse 12, you mark it down and read it for yourself. It says in John 1, verse 12, it says, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To as many as received Jesus Christ, he literally made them his children, children of love, where the love of God is perfected in them. A question to you today is not are you religious, not are you a good person, but have you been born of God, born again, born of love, born in Christ? Have you given yourself to him? I'm going to pray, and then we have pastoral team, pastoral team spouses. We have some deacons around the room. There's going to be some across the front. There's going to be some in the back at the Lord's Supper tables. If you want to pray with someone, you want someone to pray with you, you want to sort some of this out, of what it means to be a child of God, then as the band sings, you're free to come. Let me pray. Father, thank you for not just being the bar on what love is, but wanting to put that love yourself into us. So as the last words that we read today, that love will be perfected in us, complete in us. That what we're missing and what we're hungering and what we're looking for is no longer this abstract, mysterious, unfulfilled thirst. But it is found in Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you 100%, sold out to you, Lord. I pray that you would help them give themselves fully and completely to you, Lord. I pray this at this time, in this place.